Hello friends, welcome to episode two of This Buds For You. This week I'm joined by Will Pipkin. Will is one of my oldest and bestest friends. We go way back. He spent nine and a half years with the Navy SEALs and he's moved on to a life of love and happiness in North Florida killing bugs. But before that, he helped me pull an old lady out of a ditch. We're going to talk about that and some other stories here on This Buds For You. Hopefully this is only the first stop for Lieutenant Pipkin with us. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. What was your when in what, what what was your title when or what is your current rank if you were in the military or what did you retire or however the language is exit what was your rank I'm just curious this is for I me was, not uh, even for I was a lieutenant when I got out okay was that the peak uh, I have no idea how rank goes like I didn't know if you went higher lower like did you gra- like you graduated Annapolis as a second is it second lieutenant you get commissioned out of Annapolis. And ensign in the Navy, second lieutenant if you go Marine Corps out of the academy. See, Lola thinks, what the fuck is an ensign? An ensign sounds like something they just made up. They probably did at one point. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And uh, yeah, and then and then you get to you get to play around. Like I had my uncle that was a master chief, and so. Well, I guess I outrank you now. I mean, granted, you you spent twenty years in, but uh, he, he probably corrected me on that one though. So that's good. I spent about six hours on the USS, is it US or USS? I'm going to fuck that up too. USS Midway. There's two mm-hmm. S's. The United States ship, right? My, this is going to be very educational for Boudreaux as well. So I spent about like six hours on when I was out in San Diego after a conference one time. And you know me, I went up to anybody wearing a volunteer hat, shirt. Like I could tell they were working, they were a vet. And it was story time and it was wonderful. Um, but one of them that they always, one of the common themes was they were referencing what you just said, the master chief on the ship. And throughout the tour and everything, it was weird, not weird, it was it was uh, fun to learn about that role because in my current future former nine to five, I worked with a lot of uh, a lot of folks that outside world would say middle management types, you know, assistant directors, program directors, uh, uh, you know, they're really the leadership of their organizations. But there's people above them, technically speaking, but there's this certain position they hold because of the respect they command from the counselors and the ear and attention that and respect that they have from the the, the suits, so to speak, um, and that's what is that is that an, is that a fair analogy of what a master chief is? That person who's like the linchpin. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I would say you know, between him and the between him and the CEO, he's your your most experienced guy, definitely the most probably tactically proficient. Um, and let's see. I guess we we always joke around. Well, technically, I outrank you. So, well, technically, I'll put you in your place. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, they they run things for the most part. Obviously, they they run the run the team or run the ship uh, as far as all the all the enlisted personnel. Um, but yeah, you definitely definitely command respect as far as the the master chief goes. Not not somebody you want to piss off. All right, I'm gonna I'll, and I want you to marinate in that real quick because I do want to come back to Master Chief and see if you have any. Um, obviously, you can't. You'll share what you can. And you won't what you can't. And for folks that are just catching up, uh, I, throughout life you have people that you reference and you kind of say, "My best friend, my best friend, my best friend." And we go through iterations of best friends from daycare through death. And some of them stick around for a while. And I'm have this is the honor and privilege of a lifetime for me to finally get him uh, under a swinging light and ask some questions and tell some stories. Uh, but I'm joined by my best friend, uh, Will Pipkin. And there's no other accoutrement for that name anymore. But uh, if you would, real quick, how, how, do you, how would you introduce yourself 
professionally now? And then we'll go down memory lane. Mm, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I guess mainly just business owner, father, husband, bug killer. Yeah. bug killer is the one that i want to hear about at the end all right so full disclosure will and i go way back that connection came for me uh we're gonna start we're gonna start down memory plane uh, memory plane memory lane and going back to middle school uh that's where our paths crossed and the first act of this little three-act play here on this buds for you we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh the good old days and under this kind of guise and theme of Thank God we didn't have social media. I was on I was on the Instaham this morning, you know, watching my child naturally, and uh, scrolling on reels. I found a, a woman roughly our age, and she was kind of doing a patronizing. Oh, how sweet! Uh, you '90s kids, like like you, you can have our fashion, but you will never understand the true freedom of a world without that kind of connectivity and connection. So we are going to tell some stories here, but. First question, I remember meeting you at, under the context two sides. A, swim kid. I mean, that was in middle school, and that's how kind of I, I, I got introduced to you. But really through B, I played baseball with your brother, and, yep. and that was, that was kind of our connection. So I'm, I'm curious, and this is one of those things, be careful what you wish for. If you had to hearken back, what do you remember? How do you remember us meeting? And then we're going to press fast forward to when things really actually got fun. <laughs> Well, let's see. In middle school, that carpetbagger came down from the north and joined us at. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's an element of truth to that. I did. I was from out of town, and I was I was coming from South Carolina, and my parents were from Michigan. And to this day, I was in an email exchange with a guy who's in Montana, but he's from Arkansas, and uh, I was referencing Florida, and I referenced the South, and he just wrote one line back: "Florida's not the South." And I was like, "Here we go." <laughs> like I, the, the territorial identity. Um, no, but you are right. I, in a small school that we went to, I did come from out of town in seventh grade. And, uh, and I do remember always, I mean, nice stuff, but I would say things got quote unquote hot and heavy uh, between us around, around high school, junior year. Uh, and we were joined by somebody from Savannah. You want to introduce the world to Jeff? Oh, oh Jeffy. Oh, Jeffy, the, the, the bearded guy that showed up in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I was the carpetbagger. He was the beard. He was a beard guy. He showed up with a beard, a Grateful Dead t-shirt, khaki shorts, and, and uh, Birkenstocks. And it was a little bit of like, but knowing him, and he went to a military school in uh, Savannah, shouts to Benedictine. They just won their like second back-to-back -back title, state football title, something in the water in Georgia. But Jeffy showed up, and this is where it all came to a head for me, because he showed up our junior year. Uh, and you're right. He was a kid. He played soccer, ran track. Really, for me, it was the ski trip, and this is where uh, things kind of took off. Is my my family went through some stuff, medical stuff, and uh, and you and I lived in the same neighborhood. Jeff had just moved to the neighborhood, and I wanted to be left alone, like a wounded animal. And for some reason, we all just started hanging out. There may or may not have been light beer involved, uh, commiseration. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was only light for a couple of years. Things got heavy, if you know what I mean. Uh. But I guess, the, the, I mean, when you, you were the one who said, like, we got statute of limitations is off. So what stands out from that time that you're chomping at the bit to share? Cause, and again, careful what you wish for here, Boudreaux, because I'll admit this guy was homecoming king. And in his acceptance speech description, he described carrying 200 pounds of dead weight 
through the <laughs> beach and he wasn't talking about his Navy SEAL dreams. Yeah, that was that was a good one. I was thinking maybe we'd tell the story when we when we uh, <clears throat> we may or may not have been out enjoying a couple of well, beers. May or may not. And uh, we, we may or may not have come upon a car that was in the ditch with the lady that, well, she was in diabetic distress, I, I guess I would say, and drove her home. But I, yeah, then I was, I was like, well, statute of limitations might have run out, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> not like the most appropriate story. You know what? Actually, I told this story yesterday. I work with a group called Emerging Professionals in Camping. Look at us, five minutes in. Bud's already made a camp reference. And, uh, and we were talking about, and I actually referenced you because we were talking about people in moments uh, oh, what, that, what, that's what it was, is have you ever been in the news and what were the circumstances? And that's how we get from diabetic woman in, the, in a ditch to the news. And actually, the fun thing is it started at a party. Um, and, and I'm not going to say that we were partying or drinking, but we were definitely out trying to get home to curfew. And we were at Arden Sherman's house. Shouts to Arden. Great name. I wonder what she's doing these days. So we were on our way home and we're weaving through some side roads in Tallahassee and we're trying to get to Meridian and then haul ass north to Killarne and where we lived. And yeah, Will Will was right. There was a there was a car in the ditch and and we just I was driving and Will's like, hey, that uh that looked funny. You know, me trying to get home for a curfew. I'm like, yeah, man, sucks. There was I don't know, we didn't go too much farther because there was a heavy silence in the car. And I could feel Will not looking at me and like still looking backwards. And so I hit the brakes. We, we whip around and Will got me, got me to do the right thing as usual. And we get back there. And sure enough, when we pull up behind the car, the woman was passed out, slumped over. And William, what did you do then? Well, we ended up finding out she had a diabetic bracelet on. So then we dug through. And I guess at that time, I don't know, cell phones were not not super prevalent yet and she didn't have one so we found her found her id and she lived pretty much right down the same road that she was in the ditch on so we said well we can go ahead and drive her car back and which we did and uh her, her husband was very grateful he was waiting up and luckily was able to give her some juice and she was good to go after that but yeah it was i had never been around somebody who'd been in that kind of distress and to see almost the immediacy of, like you said, get some juice in her, and then she she perked up, and um, yeah, they were very grateful. We went, we left, we went home, made curfew because I really don't know if mom had to stop and help an old lady in a ditch was going to work again as an excuse. So it was a couple days later. I remember laying and laying down in Miss Davies' class. Yeah, I was in class laying down, and and there's a handful of people that might listen to this and go yeah sounds about right and my head was on a backpack and we were watching an educational program on the television and uh the dean or the headmaster came to the door and knocked on it asking for me not uncommon and uh and i walk out and there's will standing with them in the courtyard of our little classroom area in high school come with me gentlemen what what did we i mean what didn't we do i mean actually at that point you're just trying to go through i'm trying to go through my rolodex of like all right where was i where was i turns out word of our little escapades had gotten out this is pre-social media it just kind of scuttlebutt through the through the the high school network of gossip and uh one of the teachers heard about it and i guess this couple had put out an ad in the tallahassee democrat just in the classified saying there was two young men who helped us out the other night don't know their names. They didn't leave anything. We just, if anybody knows anything about this, could you connect us? 
And that's what was that's why the principal came down. I guess they wanted to do a little story on the news about us, and they walked around and followed us. And there we are. I'm basking in Captain America's glory uh, the whole time. I will say I tell I tell that story all the time because it was a pivotal moment in me, and it was a it was a revealing moment for our kind of friendship. And where listen, pay attention. This guy's got a pretty solid moral compass. So that's a that's part one of Act One. Well, but well, hang on, hang on. Now, the best the best part of that story though was that they had the <laughs> They had the newspaper person there who was taking down quotes, and once we got done telling the story, then they they, they asked you. I think it was something effective, you know, what what drove you to, to do this? And with, <laughs> with the with the headmaster standing right there, I think your quote was something effective. Well, I just figured that if I had been out partying and I crashed my car in the ditch, I'd want somebody to help me out before the cops came. <laughs> Logic, you know, just pay it forward empathy that's what i'm all about that was sitting there to the report you're not writing that that's not going in the story Uh -uh, sorry (laughs) pride and joy of alfred b mcclay day school um i was actually i saw there was a there was a strong the new headmaster was at a headmaster still such a term uh but the new dude was at hopkins when i was down visiting my pops the other day shouts to the team at hopkins that's another kind of harken back um and it's it's still i saw mr i saw mr obrecht there went up and said hey um, he, he, he looked like he was very much in the middle of that. Like I got 20 minutes for lunch. I'm here to pick up my, I just said, good to see you. Thank you. know, hope you're doing well, that kind of stuff. So fast forward to, uh, I, I got one I wanted to ask you about from your perspective from maybe a year or two after. And again, we may or may not have found spots throughout Leon County to just kind of park and hang out, you know, talk about the week, um, listen to some music, some good, clean nice rock and roll and just enjoy each other's company we go out we all go off to college and our little crew of friends two of us were at georgia you were at the naval academy and then another another friend of ours okay i'll give him anonymity at this point he uh he was at an ivy league school and so we're we're all out in one of our favorite spots granted we're grown men at this point we're you know 19 we, we could just hang out probably at any of our parents backyards and feel comfortable, but we wanted nostalgia. And so we go out to one of our favorite fields that had been very kind to us in, in seclusion for a number of years. After about an hour and a half, we're, we've got my dad's car, expedition, like a big old expedition, and there's four of us. And after about an hour and a half, we see some headlights coming up the road. And it wasn't uncommon because it wasn't like a secret place. Some of our friends knew about it, but none of them had blue lights. So blue lights come on and the tailgates open and the, um, our Ivy league friend, rightfully so good for him, ran quickly into the woods. Will, what, what was your reaction? Yeah, no, mine was the same. And I, I think I told you guys when the, when the headlights first appeared, I just let you know that if, if it was the cops that, uh, I, I wasn't going to be staying there. I was, I was going to be trucking it through the woods back home. So. Once those police lights turned on, yeah, the woods looked pretty good. So off I went. <laughs> at that point, my aforementioned other best friend looked at me and just patted me on the back, like, "Dude, not my car." Into the woods he goes. I shut the <laughs> I shut the door and bra- brush off the the diet coke cans that were still sitting on the tailgate there, and uh, just shut the door. And I dive in the woods too, kind of like, "What am I gonna? What am I gonna not look around?" Luckily. North Florida's finest had their spotlight, you know, probably 45 degrees in the wrong direction in the woods. 
we see you come on out it's just going to be easier in the end um and we all very quickly just decided to slowly back through the woods uh the coda to that which we all ended up getting safe rides so did your folks ever find out about that yep yeah but it was it was significantly later it was <laughs> it's not any not anywhere near the time that it happened it wasn't two. It wasn't two thirty a.m., which is when North Florida's finest knocked on my dad's door to say, "Are you the owner of a Ford Expedition license plate blank?" And my dad to this day said it's the only time he's ever been in a cop car. Hopped in the back. I. It was two days later. I had just found out from my parents that I was not, in fact, going to be going to Savannah for New Year's with everybody else, even though I was a grown man at the time, you know. So I decided to show them the respect and you know stay home that year. Uh, but I did overhear them make a, an admission that good thing we ran. Like, like, because hey, what's the worst that was going to happen? Like, you get you're already caught. Like, they don't know who you are yet. So, um, if if Cooper, you're ever listening to this, or Scout, if y'all can hear this in the background, when in doubt, run. No, you cooperate, you pay attention, and you listen to the authorities. These are good public servants. You just make sure you got a friend named Jeff on speed dial to help you out with your legal needs. Good to go. If we have a couple of friends that we used to run around those parts with who now could help with legal needs. I'm, I'm going to see if I want if I can talk to them. Um, our buddy, Ed, uh, we spent some time near Lake Ammonia. Uh, is it, is it I Ammonia? I've been out of touch for so long. I'm out of touch. I Ammonia. Yep. I Ammonia. God, I'm going to, they're going to revoke my card. Um, as you pointed out, I'm, I still have the stigma of the carpet bag. Now, but we got some stories to go down with him uh, when the time comes, but thank God you ran. Because we're going to skip past greased up naked guy riding a goat. We'll circle back to that in uh, episode two, Will, the college years. Uh, random drop-ins from four or five guys from the Naval Academy who's just scaled my back wall one time, let themselves in. Uh, that was good. Always welcome. Um, we'll skip over those for the moment. But um, I will say you always did stop by when you got back from the military, you successfully navigated the Naval Academy. See what I did there? See what I did with navigated Naval Academy? What was your degree at the Naval Academy, by the way? Uh, general science. Is that where bug killing comes into play? No, that that's where I started off as an oceanography major until I found out that that was a credit short of a math minor. I, I wasn't all that great at math, but I went ahead and dumbed it down a little bit to general science. <laughs> Is that something you came up with, or is that the stigma? One credit short of a math major? No, it really, really, or no, one one credit short of a math minor. So, oh, God, no. Once uh, I got no. to take engineering math for my major, and I raised my hand and asked the professor how that would be used for oceanography, and they couldn't answer the question, I said, okay, that's it. I'm out. When you went into the Naval Academy, and we are going into Act uh, Act 2. We did Part 1, Part 2 of Act 1. We're going into Act 2. And before I go any further, I got to know, is it okay? I, wow, just a quick whip around there. Pause, three steps back. Last summer, uh, I listened to, what's his face, Jocko's book about extreme ownership. And he kept on dropping the term frogman. And before we go any further, I couldn't pick up on it because I was kind of too enthralled with the stories and like in the lessons in there. But the lingo, what's a frogman? Uh, we, we prefer a naked warrior. Um... <laughs> No, the the frogmen. So they, they when they started off. So they did the uh, they did the initial initial uh, beach landing. So initially, you had the underwater demolition teams, and so they would go in. Who's they they? Who's they? 
So you had folks that you pulled from the from the Navy uh, to start the underwater demolition teams, and uh, what they would end up doing. Um, this is again the the Navy personnel that they used to start up the the demolition teams. Um, you know, let's say for instance in uh, World War II to do the beach landings, uh, the SEALs would, or at that time, UDT members would go in. They would swim ashore wearing nothing but khaki shorts, a pair of fins, a web belt with a knife. Um, and then they'd have a, a haversack or explosives that were strapped in their back. So they would swim ashore and they would do either beach reconnaissance, uh, where at nighttime they would they would swim ashore um, and they would drop lead lines to get depths. Um, you would have a whole bunch of pairs that are usually about 25 meters apart. And they they basically do a, a reconnaissance just swimming in, taking depth measurements as they swam in. And then they would come back out. Nobody knew that they were there. And once they got back out, everybody would compile all their data and they would build or actually draw a, a hydrographic map um, so that the ships that were going to come in and do the landings, they would know, okay, where are we actually going to be able to have enough depth to get the, the ships this, in? This is in the 40s? This is for D-Day uh, prep? Around, uh, well, let's see. Round 52 time frame is when they officially stood them up. But yeah, for uh, for D-Day prep. That's what I'm saying. Like the stories that you're yeah. telling. So are they, they're in khaki shorts. What kind of, this, are they doing training in warm water? Are you talking about these guys out there in khaki shorts in the English Channel? Are they like chicken fat on their body? Nope. Nope. How cold they, is that water? They, that, it's, it's chilly out there. But at that time, let's see, they, they would have had the, the SEAL training was done on the East Coast at that time, um, so they would do a lot of the training at the Little Creek Base in Virginia Beach, um, and they also did some of the, the actual landing craft, did some of their training there as well, um, going from, you know, over the horizon to bringing the boats in and driving them up on the beach to drop people off, but yeah, they were they were good as far as the cold water goes. They also did, uh, let's see, when they started doing the started doing the uh, space program, uh, the UDT folks were the ones that once the capsule landed in the ocean, uh, the UDT ones were the ones that swam up to the capsule, opened up the doors and get the astronauts out as well. So again, the, the term frogmen just came from these dudes who had a job that was basically to be living in the water. You'd be in the water, on the land, so a frog was a good good fit. You're pretty pretty much looking at a guy that's not wearing a whole lot of equipment, wearing a set of fins and getting the job done. So they're they're amphibious. You just, like you just described a bond a bond scene though, like up oh, khaki shorts, a knife strapped to his side and some fins. Like that's that was legit like standard issue back in the day. That's what those guys are going out there. Explain real quick for, for folks two things. A, what does UDT stand for? Underwater demolition teams. Okay. Underwater blowing up or not blowing up stuff, right? Uh, but like you said, mapping. Explain real quick once again the, the 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 art, I guess, of the lead line. What are you talking about there now? So you have basically a little fishing weight that's on the end of a string, and you would go ahead and on that string, which you would have on a spool, you would tie knots in the string, um, whether it be depending on what depth you're doing, every six feet, let's say. So you would lower the line down counting the knots as they're going through your hand uh, until the line stops. And then you know what the depth is at that particular place where you're at. And then you would swim online. So you would have guys spread out, you know, it could be 500 yards that they're spread out with a pair every 25 yards. And you, once you get your depth measurement, then you move forward 25 yards, take another depth measurement all the way into the, into the beach. And that way you can go ahead and map what the, what the depth looks like underwater. Um, 
so that again, if the boats are coming in, they know where they can where they can drive, what it looks like. All right, because we're going to get into some frogmen stories, but I just had to I had to hear a little background of like what was it born out of, and for those thinking about this too, they're not in the deep end of a swimming pool either. They're fighting currents, uh, possibly things floating around. You know, I mean, it sounds to me like it is some of the most god awful, miserable, awful experiences what would drive somebody to do this so you get to annapolis you go in for oceanography you come out general science and then what drives you into a what direction so uh, i guess there at the naval academy at least you can pick you can either go into the marine corps or you can go into the navy um and on the the navy side um you would service select, so usually based off of, you know, your, your performance, your leadership, everything else, I guess, just like, you know, applying for a job or, or going to, to college, they would look at the, the total package. Um, and then you would choose which field you want to go into in the Navy. Uh, it's competitive for, for most all of them. Um, so you're trying to, you know, you're fighting for, for different spots in there. Um, and I looked at it, and, uh, I, I did not have much, if any, desire to be on a ship, so that, that kind of ruled out quite a bit of stuff. I, I didn't really want to fly planes, um, so I looked at it, and the two most appealing ones were EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, and uh, Navy SEALs. And to me, the, the SEALs, just as far as the, the job that they do, you're at the tip of the spear, um, so as far as where the, where the fighting is actually taking place, you're going to be there, not you know pushing a button. Um, and not getting to see the results of, of what it is that you're doing, um, but getting to be in combat, leading men, and it sounded great to me. So, well, God bless you. I I, I tell I obviously talk about you a lot of the time, all, all the time. You're you're a good friend of mine. I'm very proud to know you, and, and obviously get to share some of these stories and experiences with folks. Um, I joke that you know between the three of us, one became a lawyer, one became a teacher, one went into the military. We all kind of are serving in our own ways, or did you more so than most. Um, so, okay, you come out and you say Navy SEALs. How, what's, I mean, people are probably, have, have watched documentaries, they've seen movie. I mean, no, nothing is close to the truth in G.I. Jane, I'm sure. That said, real quick, like, talk to me about that process. We didn't, I, I will say that there was not a gap, but obviously, shoot, man, when you deployed, there was a whole different story. And again, I think there will be another episode that we're going to talk about the college years and uh, some of those other good old times in the back porch. But talking about that decision, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a SEAL. What, how does one become a SEAL? So from the Naval Academy, at least, um, they kind of have a, uh, screening process, I guess I would say. And so they would do starting from the very beginning, I guess even during your freshman year, if you have an idea that that's what you want to do, um, at the Naval Academy during the summer times, you would, you don't, you don't just get off. You have to do training blocks so they would send you off and you would either be um you know go be on a ship or you may be doing something with the the marine corps if that's the way you want to go or be on a submarine or is this um, almost be, like the military equivalent of an internship yeah yeah you get a get a taste of everything so if, if you were kind of thinking you know hey i want to be a pilot or you know i want to be you know on a ship they send you out you get a taste of kind of every department on the ship see what what uh life is like what you know what you would be doing um and then from that, people will go ahead and decide, yeah, this is this is the way that I want to want to go. Um, so at the Naval Academy, if you want to go SEALs, usually most of the people would try to go to one of the summer training blocks. And it was it was one of the better ones was to do scuba school in Panama City. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Sounds better than sitting on a on a ship, I guess. So 
Uh, most of the guys, they, they screened for that um, out of the academy to get one of the one of the spots that they had available. And so you go down and for, I think that was like three weeks uh, in Panama City. Anyway, you come out scuba qualified and that, that kind of starts narrowing it down pretty early as far as you wanted to be be seals because most of the most of the guys would have have done that but anyway as you get closer to your let's see your junior year um at the end of that guys are are seriously looking at what their service selection is um and then they have another let's see they have another summer training block that you can do but you have to screen for this one out of the academy so um they had a training block called mini buds where you actually go out to coronado and you're at the uh naval special warfare training center out there you do two weeks uh, with them and two weeks with the with the boat guys, the special boat teams, the ones that drive the, uh, the uh, switch boats. boats. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for, for that training block, though, you have to do a screener out of out of the academy. And so you have, I think, we had somewhere around total about 100 maybe 80 guys that said that they wanted to do it. So they would do one of two screeners up there, and you always have active duty seals that are stationed at the naval academy so at the time we had three i think we had about three seal officers and three or four and then we probably had at least three seal enlisted that were there too so they run this screener and it's kind of just like first phase of, of buds training um you're in and out of the severn river um in the fall time frame and basically they run you for for about two and a half days uh it's just like a little mini mini section of kind of like hell week i guess um but anyway, guys will either, you know, they, they quit and the ones that don't quit, they go ahead and they grade them on their performance. Uh, and then from that, that earns you a spot to go out to uh, get your butt kicked out. And, and I, I appreciate because I was about to ask you a quick question there is because I do just to clarify for folks, because I appreciate this. I've heard Will tell this a million times and you have told it a million times. You're incredibly gracious with your experiences and talking about this stuff. Um, what's the attrition rate once you actually get out there? Because I was going to pause and say. You go to mini buds and you either say that ain't for me, or you say I'm sadistic, I want more. And then that sadistic feeling that who you have to almost be Don Quixote to say I want more. And then you get out there. So once you get out to buds, you know, and you say that's it. What is the attrition rate? So for our buds class, I mean, I guess they would say the average is about eighty percent attrition. Um, we started with about 185 guys and we finished with, I think it was around 33 originals um, from that original 185 that we had. That's a pretty good, pretty good attrition rate. I mean, yeah, 20% doesn't score you anything in anywhere in life unless you want to become a Navy SEAL. And then all of a sudden that's the, the pyramids inverted, I guess. So you got to whittle it down to those people that are just too dumb to quit. So it's, is that kind of self-deprecation uh is that almost a, a necessary try you're not alone in that i hear a lot of folks who serve um at your level especially you know kind of hold on to that self-deprecation is that humility almost necessary to do the work um I, I don't know i mean i guess i would say our organization you got the you got the full full spectrum of of folks from the you know the I guess definitely the alpha males, but also very, you know, boisterous and, uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll let you know. Um, and then you have the people that are incredibly humble. Um, I mean, you get the, you get the full mix, uh, for the most part, I would say most guys are, are pretty, 
pretty quiet about it though. I mean, I guess we, we shoot for being the quiet professionals. It doesn't always go that way. And you, you get a lot of book writers and, and movie stuff that, that comes out after, but for the most part, most guys are usually pretty, pretty quiet and humble about it. I would say. I love, I love that. I mean, you make it sound like any other group of humans, you got handful of assholes, handful of men, then, you know, a handful of really good people. You know, it's kind of a nice bell curve. And unfortunately it's, it, you know, the spectrums obviously sometimes get most of the, uh, most of the attention. I was just curious about that because um, there is the stigma. It is really freaking not only is it cool, it's necessary what you all what you all do. And I am going to ask you to come on again at another time and maybe tell some more specific stories about experiences you had, like we did a year ago, talking about uh, you know being underwater for four, five, six hours at a time with nothing but a pen light and a buddy. And if you get all you get all the way to the end and you're not sure about something, you might have to double back for four, five, or six hours just to be able to confirm a bit of information just to then double back for another four or five or six hours. To, and I see you smiling there, but it is, it's like, I'm hearing these things. I'm like, it takes a special uh, mindset, I would say, because I think if I said a special human, I've been pushed on that. And they say, I'm not, there's nothing special about me as a person. No, but your mindset, that, that mentality is definitely what's there. And uh, God bless you for it. I, I do want to have, I do want to talk more. I do want to dig into some more of the, uh, the in-between at another, at a later date, because some of those stories are pretty freaking dope. But ultimately, you did do your duty and your service. And um, how was, and you know, I, I've never actually asked you, what was the process or how did exit look like for you? <laughs> well, for me, if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, <laughs> at, the, at the end I, of my- Because real quick pause, I did vicariously through social media all of a sudden see that there was a- for years, you weren't on social media. You, you were like, it wasn't a smart idea for you to be on social media. Then all of a sudden, Will had a Facebook profile, and we knew about, you know, <coughs> pardon me. So some of that presence, it was like, hey. And then, you know, you were out. And quite frankly, I never did follow up to be like, oh, dude. So what was the, what was, a, you know, what was kind of the latter half of, of uh, the exit like? Uh, so towards the, towards the back half of mine, so I did nine years uh, total. Uh, Went over to Iraq a handful of times, um, down to Columbia for a bit, lived out in Bahrain for for a year. Um, but <laughs> I I also became a bit of an alcoholic at the end of my, my military career. And uh let's just say that by by the end of that they, they I'm not gonna say that I, I I didn't get kicked out, but uh they they gave me the option to leave and that that's pretty much how that went. So not not my proudest time as far as the, the end of my military service. Um, but Fought, fought that for a bit and anyway on the backside, once you once you decide that you're going to get out you put in your paperwork which is essentially a request uh on our side to to get out um and then once you process out uh depending on most most guys will already have what their next you know on the civilian side what their what their job is going to be or what they want to do um, and so they're lined up, they'll either end up, you know, when they get out, they'll end up going back to school, becoming, you know, doctors, what have you, business owners. Um, we kind of get a, a, a full spectrum of, of on, on the job side, it's, it's entertaining to see what, uh, what guys go into. I mean, you get, get everything. Yeah, what do you guys to, go into? Uh, we got guys that are, that are Hollywood movie advisors, uh, technical advisors on, on movies. There's a whole bunch of them that, they do that you get a uh, we have a lot of law enforcement folks that ended up going you know fbi cia um you'll get i've got people that 
got out and became doctors or they stayed in and they, they actually, you know, they were SEALs and then they went into the, the medical community within the Navy and were doctors that way. We've got people that became lawyers, people that became realtors. I mean, it's all over the, all over the map. We've got everything. It, it almost sounds like being a division one college athlete, the sense of by virtue of having held this role, this position, there's a, there's a gravitas to it that we, we understand you have some intangibles and in, in a level of dedication, discipline, loyalty, intelligence, et cetera, what have you. Cause like, yeah, not a lot of crossover between underwater ordinance disposal. Did I get that right? Underwater ordinance disposal. Well, not a lot of crossover between that and like real estate. Right. But again, by having that virtue. So what were some of the things that you either considered or people reached out to you uh, is there, you know, what were some of those options that were laid in front of you, whether they were realistic or like, oh, no, thank you. So I guess once I got out, I, I did not have a, I wasn't like, you know, this is the career path that I want to go into. So I started working with a, Welcome to the club. <laughs> I started working with a veterans organization um, and uh, they would hook you up with companies uh, in the private sector to, you know, that, that, we're looking to hire veterans. Uh, so they would have hiring events. You would go and I, I did anything. I think one time I ended up doing six interviews in one day. Um, but at the same time, uh, I was also had started, let's see, got onto the eHarmony and, and was looking for, looking for a uh, life partner there. And so that's when I found, found Rebecca and, and uh, she was living in Tulsa at the time. And I was living in Tallahassee, but I didn't have anything. Didn't have a, a job at that time. Just had money saved up in the bank and, um, so I went ahead and moved out to, moved out to Tulsa. And, and when I got out there, um, I guess I kind of put the, I, I didn't put the job hunting on hold, but I ended up, my, my dad had owned a termite and pest control company for 20 some odd years and had worked with him a little bit. And so I went ahead and worked with, worked with Terminex out there, uh, for a year, which was awesome. Great, great company. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, yeah, so we, we, got married out there and was was killing bugs out there and we had our first first baby out there too and then finally after a year with year with terminex and the, the pay was not great and my dad was looking to retire so he called up and and uh said he'd be he'd be willing to sell the business and start transitioning it and we said well that sounds a lot better than what we've got going on out here in tulsa so packed up the family and moved to florida and so that's how we ended up back here God's country. I remember getting the phone call after you got married. And I, then I remember getting the phone call from other people and being like, what? I'm like, it's real. I was like, the dude's happy. Look at that face. Uh, yes. And shouts to your beautiful wife. Uh, she is a, she's a gem. She is a personality. Uh, she's somebody else who I'd love to talk to in the future on this show. She's been a truck driver. Uh, she's owned her own massage business. Uh, she is a star, rising star on TikTok. I don't know her handle off the top of my head. I'll put it in the caption when we post the episode. Uh, but she's a gem. And one of those videos, a shirtless will, you may have seen it, is uh, giving parents sage parenting advice by through modeling. One of his daughters, one of the beautiful daughters, was screaming and having a little bit of a moment. And Will wanted to have his turn, so he told her to hold it, hold tight. And um, can you recreate the 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 moment for us real quick? When it was your turn, what did you say to your daughter that ended up going viral? We would do the back and forth, which I, I will admit we stole that. We we saw somebody else that had done it and said, "Love to love to give that one a shot." But anyway, she was she was upset because she wanted to do her ballerina dancing, and I don't think she liked the particular song that we had put on, which I think was maybe a Frozen song or something. Anyway, 
so she had a total breakdown over the over the song selection that we that we had. And she was all dressed up, had her little tutu dress on and everything, but didn't want to do the dance when she was crying. So uh, did the old uh, okay, okay, it's my turn now. You stop for a second, and then <laughs> she didn't she didn't like that. That was. I think one of the first times that we had done it with her, uh, but it definitely stopped her in her tracks. She did not cry anymore and went to dancing after that. So we said, well, it, it works, at least initially. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is because it, it, it came up in my social media feed the other day, not from your handle or Becca's handle or anybody like that. So apparently somebody else got to you all and said, we like that. We like it. So congratulations on that. That was a fun video. Um, not to mention you get to see Will with his shirt off, which if you know Will, you, you've seen that before. But if you don't know Will, then it's a sight to behold. Uh, so back to Talanasty, Talatrashy, the Redneck Riviera. Uh, I say all of those with pride. I was talking to a buddy of mine who grew up in Philly, and he was just do talking dog shit about Philadelphia. And, and he's like, it's the city of brotherly love. And I'm like, uh, sounds like it. But then I remembered a mantra of a friend of mine. Sometimes brothers have to punch each other. Back to Talonasty, and now what? What is from Navy Seal from killing bad guys to killing bugs? Sorry, I don't know if you've ever killed anybody, and I don't want to touch on that topic. But what do you do now? What is life like? What explain to us a little bit of what we might not know about the uh, pest control, bug killing business? You say it tongue in cheek. I kill bugs. I honestly am curious. Like, what does that mean? I mean, I've, do you just suit up and spray things? Is it as simple as that? How do you find out where to spray? Go. There's pretty, there's pretty wide variety, I guess. Pest control, you got everything from insects. You'll have the people that'll do uh, trapping if you end up with everything up to raccoons or some other animals too. But, but killing, you know, primarily, primarily insects. Um, and we do, a, <clears throat> I guess you have a little bit of variety as far as the pest control companies go. Some of them, most of them these days, especially if they're bigger, will generally try to just stay outside your house. Um, I, I won't say that that's necessarily because it's better for their bottom line, not necessarily better for you, but you know, um, but anyway, for, for the most part, most of the, most of the pest control that we do is prevention. So you go in and it's not that people are, you know, they're seeing some bugs here and there, but it's not, not horrendous. And we do a once a year service. Um, we treat inside their house, up in their attic, crawl space and outside. Um, and just trying to keep the, keep the bugs away. Uh, but you will get the ones you get some, you get some good ones every once in a while. So you'll go into a house and it's got German roaches that are falling from the ceiling, um, which when I was, I just married Becca and I had a lot, of, I had the forest area in uh, Tulsa. So I had a lot of German roach houses and I came back from this one. And when I was treating the house, <clears throat> I was treating in the bathroom and I lifted, open up the cabinet doors above the toilet. <clears throat> roaches ran every which direction to include on the ceiling and they were raining down from the ceiling into the toilet on me and everywhere else. Um, which I didn't think anything of at the time. But when I got home that night, several hours later, and I, I go to take my work uniform off and put it in the washer, well, I guess one of the roaches was a mama roach. And uh, she dropped her dropped her egg sack in my shirt. So when I took my shirt off, the, the mama roach was nowhere to be seen, but the egg sack with all of the uh, ghost white little little uh, <laughs> roach nymphs start, start coming out of there. And Becca sees it, and she said, that's it. <laughs> she goes, she goes, from this point forward, you are not changing your clothes in the house when you get home. You can go in the backyard, it's fenced in, strip down totally naked out there, <laughs> take the clothes directly into the washer. I said, okay, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, that was a that was a good one. No. Um, Anything with like fur that's like a fun story. That I'm gonna have nightmares about that, dude. Like uh. Well, we had we had to we get 
we get some good ones. We had the the raccoon, mama raccoon that was in somebody's attic and we saw where she had gotten in. She had crawled up this tree that had a branch touched the roof and she had popped the, the eaves out. Um, that was a new one for us. We, we hadn't worked with, uh, with getting rid of raccoons, but this was an existing customer that we had. So we, uh, we ended up putting a work light up there and a radio, uh, cause we, we weren't going to go running around the attic trying to can catch this thing wearing welding gloves or something. Um, but anyway, the, the music and the light ends up driving the mama raccoon out. And uh, to her credit, she went and she would pick up her babies one by one and she'd walk them to her hole and then carry them down the tree and took them off to wherever the new place was. But it was kind of kind of neat. So she took care of that one for us. And all we had to do is put the ease back and we were, we were set. But. See, see, listen, extermination and home prevention is not about always about killing. Sometimes it's about healing and moving on. And that's exactly what we're going to do here in a minute. Um, no, that's freaking hilarious, though. German. So why do you keep saying German roach? What's a German roach versus like a just an everyday cockroach? Is there a difference or is that just the technical name? I'm like, I'm like in a ball over here still thinking about that. I got like shit crawling on me. Well, they're they're the German roaches, but the Germans don't like that title. They, they call them Italian roaches. Um, that's but... very funny. That's that's some World War Two related humor there. I like that. The German roaches are the little tiny ones. They're the ones we don't like because they go in and they they infest on the inside of people's houses, usually in the kitchens and bathrooms first. And then when it gets heavy, they'll be in every single room. They can be in the baby's crib, licking the milk off their lips at nighttime. And I mean, it's. Are you talking? Like, no, stop. Stop with that licking the lips off the. I'm not. That's not. That's not okay. We can't. We can't have ger German roaches licking the lips off of my baby at night. Are you serious with this? Like, you're not making this up. These these bugs exist, or are you just on like, are you trying to scare me? No, no, you can definitely get houses where the German roaches are so bad that they'll, you know, any food source they'll eat on they'll eat on makeup. Um, like I said, you can have a baby in a crib, and if the roaches are so so heavy, if that baby had been been nursing, um, they'll eat on they'll eat on hair. Um, if the baby's got some dried milk that's around their around their mouth. Um, they can get on that. It can be. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to sleep again. This is like worse than when I saw arachnophobia in sixth grade. And then like, I couldn't like, I think that's what, that's what's happening with the video too here is that it's just making me cringe so bad. All right, one second. I am going to edit this out. Hold on. Ba -ba -bum. Good. <laughs> What in the fuck? It's like Max went. Remember the, the Max Headburn or whatever. You remember hearing about that in the eighties? When uh, look it up. WGN. This was pre-internet, and Max Headburn or Headroom or whatever is like this like animatronic fake face. If I pull them up right now, it's like MTV ended up kind of co-opting the look, but it okay. came from it came from this like uh, pirate signal that took over WGN for like two minutes and something. Back in the 90s. Uh, that's what that felt like, though, is what was going on. All right. This is where I would cut back in. German roaches. I'm glad you cleared that up. So what – and people think that I – being from Florida, I, I reference palmetto bugs. And people are like, you just made that up. Those are just flying roaches. Are palmetto bugs essentially just flying roaches? Yep. Okay. That's even more disturbing. Um do you know much about this is a personal question so thanks for hanging in there and then we are gonna we're gonna go to our encore because i'm gonna learn a little bit more about william here we all are is there any regionality to your knowledge like as a homeowner in new england what do i need to be doing annually or should i just find somebody like you who has local knowledge and say can you come talk to me 
Well, I mean, I guess <clears throat> you're blessed and cursed uh, because Talk to me, Goose. you have plenty of plenty of cold weather, probably more than you more than you want up there. So you get a lot of your bugs that'll die off in the wintertime, which is which is good. Now down here, we just don't get the cold temperatures as much. So the, the mosquitoes hang in there year round. Uh, there's not much that, that totally dies off. Um, so your your pest needs are probably significantly less than, than what we'll see down here. Um, but up there you do, you know, you'll still have a lot of people as far as uh, termite protection is, is still big. Um, I think it was actually, Terminex I think was started by a guy, he was a uh, furniture maker uh, and I think it was in the Northeast and he made furniture and I think also made wood floors. And apparently <clears throat> he kept on delivering wood floors and the wood floors would be eaten up by termites. So they'd be putting in flooring that was already infested with termites and then obviously the customers would be pissed off and so then he went ahead and on his own developed his own termiticide and so then uh from a furniture maker to then became terminix nix the termites is is where that where that started from uh, but the northeast they, they had their fair share of termites and especially if the the older furniture because you have a whole bunch of different kinds of termites too you would have dry wood termites um drywood termites will end up they'll infest in a in a old piece of furniture it's usually in older older houses uh, or in south florida they have pretty common too but um and they're they're entertaining my dad's got a in his office he has a broom handle that was infested with drywood termites that he had in his office for probably 15 years and the termites were active in there the whole time and whatever the whatever the reason i guess the conditions were right but finally after the 15th year they they swarmed out of the broomstick in his office it was great <laughs> But uh, but no, they so just North they just they just they just like were in there gnawing away for fifteen years, and then they ran out of stuff. Where's the broom handle? Does it just like like disintegrate? Like what? Nope, nope. They got their got their holes uh, eaten all throughout. I think after that happened, he finally ended up cutting some cross sections in the in the wood just to see the the tunnels that they had been eaten on. Uh, and the drywood termites eat, eat slower, um, or at least their colonies are are smaller usually. Um, and so the, I mean, that broomstick, like I said, I mean, they had been eating on it for all that time and it was still, you wouldn't have known from the outside that it had termites in there eating on it. So it's the same face I used to make when you would tell me about some of the missions you would go on to, you'd be coming back and be like, Oh, you tell us what you could tell us and you wouldn't what you wouldn't. And it's the same kind of like, God, man, well, God bless you for doing that. Uh, all right, real quick. And actually one more thing. What is the name of your business? Just in case anybody is hearing this in the North Florida region is like, yeah. I could use some, I could use some pest control services. Sure. In the greater, greater Tallahassee area, all round ALL dash R-O-U-N-D, termite pest control. All round pest control from an all round dude. All right. We are going to transition one more time. And uh, when we finish this up, sayonara sucker. No, I really do appreciate the time. Will uh, for folks who've never met Will before, um, you know, great dude. If you ever see him and come across his path or you see him online, give him a, give him a, give him a thumbs up, give him a like, give him a love. He's worth every, every penny. Uh, we are going to go through our questions and then I will let you go back to your Saturday morning. Whenever folks are listening to this, this is how the whole morning started. We we're doing this on a Saturday morning. And I said, how different was our Saturday morning 22 years ago, probably around this same time. 
Uh, we, we might still have been sleeping or recovering from the night before then, and now we get to prepare for five-year-old birthday parties. It's good to go. <laughs> I got we got swim team tomorrow morning. I'm excited about it. All right, so as usual, we're going to do a quick nine. Uh, these are questions that folks are familiar with. Uh, I, I have no I have no qualms in saying that James Lipton is one of my muses in life. Him and Dan Patrick. Uh, and these are the questions that James Lipton used to end all of his interviews from inside the actor studio with minus one. I take out the curse word one for two reasons. A, it's always some version of the F word or uh, see you next Tuesday. And then B shortens it to nine. And I'm a golf guy. So I like nine. Are you ready with some answers? Let it fly. All right. Will, what is your favorite word? Mm. Oof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I guess it'd be hyphenated. Uh, da- daddy time. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> what is your What is your least favorite word? That's a tough one too. I don't know. I guess. Uh, I don't know. I may have to come back to that one. I don't know. That's a tough one to say which one to be right there at the, the least favorite list. What turns you on? Mm, I like a I like a good challenge, I like a good challenge. Uh, that and pretty much anything that I guess gets the adrenaline flowing. What turns you off? Mm, complaining. What sound or noise do you love? Mm, I love the sound of my kids laughing. What sound or noise do you hate? Mm, sound of my kids crying. What profession, other than your own, would you like to try? Uh, smoke jumper. What profession would you not like to try? Uh. I'm going to go with uh, accountant. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in. (laughs) Will Pipkin, this is honestly, and I mean this in all sincerity, this has been a true honor and privilege of mine. I've been thinking about this for a long time. I hope to visit it again. Uh, both on camera and off camera. And again, if you need your pest control services in the greater Tallahassee, North Florida area, check out all round. What is it? All round pest control. Mm-hmm. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Tell the kid, tell the wife and kids we send our love.